Hello and welcome to Mental Awakening, the podcast that explores all topics related to trauma recovery, mental health, chronic pain, and healing. I'm your host, Sarah DeKeeley, psychotherapist and mental health social worker. And in this episode, I will speak about the trap of happiness. I will be exploring some of the ways we try to seek and hold on to happiness while avoiding feelings of unhappiness. I will also speak about the addict and addictive behaviors that exist within all of us as we aim to conquer and seek happiness. Hi everybody, welcome back. Good to be here again with you all. The topic for today's episode um, is actually the title of a book by Ross Harris, which is called The Happiness Trap. Great book, read it, I think it was 10 years ago. Um, it's really based on acceptance commitment therapy and um, I guess mindfulness and so on. And it just inspired me because I really do want to talk about how our chase for happiness and our chase for more, being more, doing more, having more, accomplishing more, um, it's just, it's really contributing to a lot of unhappiness. It's a lot of, you know, um, like a theme that I've been seeing throughout my work. And of course, in my own life too. I mean, I um, talk about it in my book, Coming to Life, which, by the way, has been republished by Balboa Press, which is a division of Hay House. For those of you who are familiar with Louise Hay's work, she basically um, started Hay House Publishing. Um, and so this is a division of Hay House. And so my book's been republished by them. And in my book, I talk a great deal about my own history with trauma as well as addiction and addictive behaviors so it's definitely not something that I'm um, unfamiliar with I know what it's like to to have an addicted mind you know and to live with addiction so the thing with addiction is um, it's it's a trauma response, right? And for those of you who are familiar with Gabor Mate's work, he is one of my teachers and um, someone I whose work I greatly respect. He talks a great deal about the impact of trauma on addiction and that addiction is an attempt to solve a life problem. So what he means by that is we're looking for relief. We're looking for some form of, I guess, nurture and so whatever we get addicted to is filling that void for us it also brings us a level of soothing so it supports us in being able to kind of handle life cope through life now for someone who has experienced um, physical abuse or you know sexual abuse trauma with a capital t where you've had a parent who, who was an addict or you know, something horrific that happens in your childhood, um, it's pretty natural that they would develop addictive coping mechanisms and behaviors. I know for me, because of the trauma that I experienced as a child and the things that I witnessed in my parents, you know, there was a lot of violence, there was a lot of um, instability, there was abuse, there was neglect. Um, 
of course I would develop addictive behaviors because that was my way of coping with life. And obviously I was completely unaware and unconscious of it. And in my book, Coming to Life, I talk a great deal about my addiction with, you know, to food and alcohol and also just relationships and love addiction in general. And so addiction is always a coping mechanism. And, you know, people tell me, well, why is it that not everybody who's been traumatized becomes addicts? And I always say, you know what happens to these people? They end up developing depression, anxiety, autoimmune diseases, and a number of other things that can happen to their health and well-being. Sometimes I work with clients who um, have been diagnosed with ADHD or ADD, and often once we start talking about their background and their experiences, I realize that they actually maybe developed ADD or some other problem on the dissociative spectrum because they witnessed something that they just simply couldn't cope with as a child. So they learned to shut down their emotions and now they're no longer in touch with the pain that they would have experienced as a child, you know? Or even people who get bullied um, and tell me that, you know, they felt scared, they felt alone, or they felt distressed emotionally as a child. And I always ask them, did you talk to someone about these feelings? Did anybody actually help you process what was going on? And more often than not, the answer is no. That's a very traumatic thing to a child, and most children are quite sensitive no matter what they might portray on the outside, um, they would have been impacted by those experiences. Trauma is what contributes towards addiction and addictive behaviors. And I personally believe that our chase for happiness is a form of addiction because of the different behaviors that we get caught up in, in our search for happiness. Trauma can be um, categorized in a number of different ways. So you have everything from childhood experiences that um, have been abusive, physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, a parent dying, a parent being um, mentally ill or violent or dealing with addiction, um, a parent you know, being jailed and um, neglect of any kind, even divorce, you know, or it can be understood in the sense of relational trauma. So that means that you don't have to be hit, you don't have to be physically abused. If the parent was stressed or distressed or distracted in their own trauma, which includes being incredibly authoritarian, using fear as their way of disciplining, or not being emotionally present and seeing emotions as a form of weakness, all of which contribute towards the development of a very loud inner critic within the child. Um, or I guess if their own issues got in the way of really being able to be attuned to their child, that's enough to create that lack of sense of self in the child. And I always talk about the importance of developing a strong sense of self. So that lack of sense of self is enough to interfere with the development of this authentic self. And it also interferes with the normal brain development itself. 
this is something that they've actually researched, you know, the physiology of the brain develops in interaction with the environment. So if you grew up in a hectic environment, then naturally you're gonna, you know, your sense of self and how your brain develops or even the, um, I guess, addiction that you might even develop to things like chaos and negativity or drama, all of those things will have an impact. This includes becoming a person who is highly self-critical and who has a tendency to push themselves way too hard or even tends to disconnect from their own feelings and emotions. The thing to be aware of is that it's all about the hunt, the search, the excitement of the chase. That's what addiction is about, right? And that's also what the happiness trap is about. It has to do with the brain's incentive and motivation circuitry and its projections to the cortex and the availability of dopamine, you know, which is also what cocaine and crystal meth and nicotine and caffeine elevate. That feeling of dopamine, this is always what we want. What I'm trying to say here is that um, on a biological or biochemical and brain circuitry level, there's no difference between behavioral and substance addictions or even, you know, any kind of addiction, really. It all has to do with the brain's pleasure reward center. So you know that maybe it's not good for you to work too much or eat too much sugar or be on social media for too long or too much or drink too much or um, gamble or whatever the case may be, you know, do drugs or whatever that you're addicted to, drink too much coffee or smoke, whatever it might be, but you can't stop yourself. And that's the same thing in all addictive behaviors and in all addictions. And it's also because of the... Um, I guess, our inability to manage our stress. So the matter of poor stress regulation, inability to regulate our emotions. And this is really important because if your stress regulation circuitry hasn't fully developed in childhood because of circumstances and um, lack of the right conditions, then what we're going to have to do is to try to regulate it externally you know, through using some other external measure. And this is where that addiction comes in. So when our needs are not met properly from past experiences, then what happens is that we try to meet those needs externally. We try to meet them through everything from addiction to plastic surgery. You know, if you look at the number of, you know, people who are doing Botox now and facelifts and, um, breast enlargements and so on. It's just increased massively in the last years, you know, as well as other things, like I mentioned before, you know, addiction to substances, addiction to work, social media, addiction to porn, um, addiction to exercise even, you know. So whenever we're just trying to run away from that stress, we're trying to um, somehow cope with it through just something external. It's like, I just want to be happy and I just want this feeling of discomfort to just leave me. And the only way it can leave me is by 
reaching for something outside of myself, you know. It's a defense uh, mechanism. And so why do we avoid our emotions? Well, if you don't completely understand emotions, I don't blame you, you know. Understanding our emotions um, is something that is very complicated, you know. Um, <laughs> It's taken me years and years of working in the sector and working on myself to get a more um, insightful understanding of the physiological, psychological, cultural, societal, you know, and even evolutionary studies of emotions. You know, our culture values and encourages us to try to be happy all the time, yet the way that society expects us to do that is often in direct conflict with the objective itself so our culture is obsessed with the pursuit of external achievement and outward appearances and it tells us that we have to earn more money we have to be more attractive we have to do more and if we do those things we'll be happier but we won't because despite knowing that money doesn't buy happiness we still fall into the trap of overestimating how happy the next material milestone is going to make us. So we end up neglecting our emotional well-being and constantly focusing on what's, you know, in the horizon, what's the next achievement. So this pursuit for happiness, or rather perceived happiness, which we think we can accomplish through achievements, is actually making us unhappier. And toxic positivity, which I call, you know, the denial um, or the repression of um, authentic emotions, is also not helping us. You know, if you look at how social media in particular is bombarding us with these bite-sized pep talks, you know, of being happy, being grateful, live your best life, which in turn makes us feel like we're failing if we're not happy all the time. And... If you think about it from a physiological perspective, feeling distressing emotions is actually quite uncomfortable. Whether we're conscious of it or not, emotions cause sensations in our body, which in turn also cause, um, like for example, chronic pain is a sensation, right? Discomfort. It causes us physical discomfort that we consciously want to suppress or even subconsciously want to move away from. If we look at where emotional pain registers in the brain, it's in exact the same place as physical pain, right? So the interior cingulate cortex, we call it. And that's why we say, oh, it hurts when we feel rejected or when we feel unloved. Uh, when we feel heartbreak, we say it hurts. Anxiety feels like something just crawling in our stomach. Grief feels like... Um, just exhaustion, depression feels like we're drowning, you know? So it makes sense that we want to avoid these feelings. When you avoid uncomfortable emotions, not just because of the pain that they inflict on us, but also because of the fact that it's a learned behavior, things that we pick up from family, culture, workplace, you know, we end up doing this habitually, then what happens is that we start to perceive negative emotions as dangerous and this is how the brain interprets them too you know it's like 
as soon as you feel unhappy or as soon as something happens that's stressful, the danger signals go off. Your nervous system, you know, flares up. And I know for me, I spent many years avoiding negative feelings and emotions. I was a runner, and I talk about that in my book. I used to run away from discomfort all the time. And a big reason for that was because I don't ever recall talking about negative emotions or talking about our feelings openly in my family. There was never a conversation about how are you really? Like, how do you really feel? And if, if I think about it, you know, a lot of it was about survival and coping and getting through and having to be good. So there was also a lot of talk about secrets, not to tell other people how we feel, not to show people what's going on, not to talk about things. Yeah, we, we, I wasn't encouraged to think about emotional health at all. There was no awareness of it whatsoever in my family. You know, in my book, I also talk about how I do have a background of being a refugee child. So emotions were seen as weakness within that kind of context and environment. You know, if I showed negative emotions, if I showed any form of weakness, I, I get judged, I get rejected. You know, I get told that I need to snap out of it or be positive because nobody had capacity to hold space for me. It was overwhelming. And I, the reason it was overwhelming was because my family could barely deal with their own. My parents could barely deal with their own emotions. Nevertheless, the emotions of their child or their children. This is why in my sessions with clients, I often, you know, focus a great deal on exploring just how they felt as children, you know, expressing their emotions and how they experienced their parents and, you know, how um, seen or heard they felt and whether they felt comfortable or uncomfortable being vulnerable. And even though our parents did their best, you know, they did the best they knew how, most of them had lack of emotional openness and vulnerability um, or even just knew how to regulate their own emotions and feelings. They basically were taught to suppress their feelings and just focus on creating, um, achieving, um, surviving, Yet emotions are such big drivers for when it comes to our health and well-being. The thing with emotions is that they are lower level and sensory based responses, such as biochemical changes of the brain. Feelings begin in the neocortical region of the brain and they're important for our memory consolidation. So Emotions begin before our feelings. Emotions are primal, direct, and physical. And it's so important for us to, to tune into our emotions, to understand our emotions. Because the thing is that the body expresses itself through the landscape of feelings, sensations, and emotions, right? And tensions. <laughs> That's even what contributes towards chronic pain, if you think about it. A lot of it has to do with our feelings and emotions, our feelings of stress, our, the sensations that we have in our body is always, um, I guess, a projection of what's going on for us on an emotional and psychological level. 
And so we have to recognize that our tendency to disregard our feelings are shaped by, by our experiences from childhood, right? Understanding our emotions is really important if we want to actually move away from our addictive behaviors and addictive um, thought patterns even, right? And once we understand our emotions, that's when we can move into emotional regulation. That's when we can recognize that our emotions are here to stay. So how are we going to deal with them? And emotional regulation is a, is a term used for describing the different ways that we influence our emotions. So being able to regulate our emotions is incredibly important when it comes to trauma recovery. And this is where, like I said before, I bring in a lot of somatic um, body work because I think you have to really work with the body when you're um, doing trauma healing in general and um, feel the sensations of whatever discomfort you're experiencing on a psychological and emotional level in your body. Because su suppressing emotion, it really does come at a cost. It ends up uh, making us feel depressed, uh, decreased satisfaction with life, and lowers self-esteem, decreases optimism, and studies suggest that it even um, ends up tightening that negative emotion that we experience from within, you know, increasing our stress levels, which in turn, of course, as you all know, impacts our health, our physical health. And that's why, you know, there has been a rise in problems, health-related problems, chronic pain in particular, so the negative effect of emotional suppression ends up also filtering into our relationships. Um, and I've certainly been through that myself. You know, we end up bypassing or suppressing our uncomfortable emotions in so many different ways. We just end up going to the fridge and looking for something to eat, even though you've just had lunch and coming home from work, pouring yourself a glass of wine without even thinking you know, these habits that we have where we just sit down and we scroll through social media for a whole hour after work, these are all ways that we get stuck in that free state or that we get into a state of suppression. It's really important to understand this stuff because when you understand it, then you realize that your emotions are here to help you. They're not bad. Without them, life would be really dull and boring. <laughs> We need our emotions to feel human. We need our emotions to understand ourselves. We need our emotions to understand our needs, right? And we also need our emotions to kind of get to a place of really connecting with that authentic self that I keep talking about, you know? When you identify your emotions, then you can notice them in your body. So that's the second step. And then the third step is being able to really be with those sensations, the sensations that it awakens within your body, you know? Does it feel heavy when I feel this? Does it feel light? Um, does it have a temperature? Does it have a color? Does it feel hot? Does it feel cold? What does it feel like when I sit in my feelings? Well, I feel angry. It could be that I feel emotional. So being able to understand our emotions helps us to understand that there are different parts to ourselves. You know, in, um, in ten, internal family systems therapy, um, we talk about the different parts 
to our personality, you know, that there are many parts to ourselves. And there are parts of us that can be very resistant to change. And there are parts of us that are very open to change. There may be parts of us that are very angry, defensive, critical, and fearful. And there's also parts of us that are very brave, courageous, all optimistic. You know, maybe we show one part of ourselves when we're at work. We show another part of ourselves when we're with family members. And then really understanding where do these parts come from? You know, when did these different parts of you develop? So understanding this about yourself is really important because um, we have to recognize all the parts of ourselves that we don't like, the parts of us that seem to get in the way, the self-sabotage, you know, our efforts to grow, and the parts of us that actually end up creating roadblocks. These are our protectors from our vulnerabilities, you know, and maybe being defensive worked for us at some point in our lives, but putting up walls and being withdrawn from relationships or even just, you know, self-sabotaging in one way or another because of your way of thinking, this stuff doesn't serve you anymore. You know, it, it worked for a while maybe to protect you or so you thought, was a coping mechanism because of what you experienced um, trauma-wise and in childhood, because of what you maybe experienced even as an adult that reinforced some of your deep-seated beliefs of not being lovable or not being worthy or not being safe or not being able to trust people or whatever the case may be. I have to work hard or it could be all kinds of different belief systems, right? It's about understanding the sabotaging and the parts of us that are really difficult to love, that, you know, inner child, that um, inner saboteur, you know, that inner critic. And knowing as well that despite those parts, there is a wise, wiser self, you know, there's a wise part to all of us. And the wiser part of us is always the part of us that, um, is very kind, is loving, is caring, and has this incredible compassionate force in your life. It's the part of you that can just really connect to empathy, to kindness, to patience and compassion and love and so on. And that's the part of us that we want to strengthen. That's the part of us that we want to strengthen. Going back to the beginning of how I started this episode around the search for happiness, you know, and how it can lead to addictive behaviors and ways of being. I think it's really important to understand that the reason why we end up becoming so survival focused is because of our unmet needs. You know, if we have had needs that were unmet or did, didn't get met during childhood or even as adults, let's say within relationships or within a professional setting, whatever the case may be, these unmet needs, um, especially if they weren't met by your parents, if you, you know, let's say grew up with a really um, authoritarian father who was quite frightening and had a sense of being that was, you know, very arrogant. That means that you didn't feel fully loved and accepted by your father, that you always had to prove yourself to him. 
right? That you always had to be strong for him. And this is just an example that I'm using here, right? But we have to become aware of these unmet needs because they can bubble up, they can shape our patterns of behavior, and especially within relationships, they can really cause havoc. Because at our deepest core, all of us want to feel connected. Connection is something that everybody wants and yearns for. You know, it's something that we are, we are wired to connect. And that's why if you look at how many people are using social media today to actually be seen and heard, you see the desire and this need for connection. Understanding our unmet needs is really important. So physical, emotional, social needs, intellectual needs, you know, intimacy, esteem needs. What am I referring to? Was I able to feel um, worthy? Did I feel worthy, you know? If you are having issues identifying what some of your needs are, it's important that, you know, you can even look this stuff up online, but, you know, you can look up needs around connection needs around physical well-being, you know, play, autonomy, peace, meaning. So what gives meaning to my life? You know, maybe there's a need to, to be more aware of my life, to live more mindfully. Maybe there's a need to be hopeful or to have some form of faith or to have an understanding or to constantly learn and grow. Um, maybe there's a need that um, un unmet need for affection, for intimacy, for nurture, for love, for security, for community, you know, for stability, whatever the case may be. Because once you learn how to attend to your needs in a way that is actually healthy, in a way that is nurturing and loving, so through self-care, you know, through practicing vulnerability, through, you know, things like tuning into your body's needs as opposed to constantly pushing through. That's when you can actually get to a place of really being with whatever shows up for you, being with your discomfort, being with your pain. There's a lot more I could say about this, but I don't want to go on for too long. One last thing that I do want to say about, you know, just this happiness trap or the trap of happiness I think is really getting clear about your boundaries you know I think knowing what your boundaries are which is something I see every day in my clinic working with clients very few people know what their boundaries are and very few people actually know how to establish personal boundaries but boundaries are like a very you know strong spine that holds you up straight and tall because a person with good boundaries communicates assertively clearly and with respect and I can promise you you know just taking from my own life experiences boundaries have been so transformational for me they've literally changed who I am as a person and they've changed my life it's not easy to implement boundaries not at all but it's definitely something that is worth it to help you identify I guess um, your boundaries or the personal bill of rights um, as was developed by psychologist Edmund Bourne I'm gonna read you a couple of the ones that I think are um, I don't know stand out for me because there's quite a few of them 
knowing that you have the right to ask for what you want, knowing that you have the right to say no to requests or demands that you can't meet, knowing that you have the right to express all of your feelings, positive or negative, knowing that you have the right to change your mind, that you have the right to make mistakes and not have to be perfect, knowing that you have the right to follow your own standards, knowing that you have the right to say no to anything when you're not feeling ready, when you're not feeling safe, and when it violates your values, knowing that you have the right to determine your own priorities and that you have the right not to be responsible for other people's behavior, actions, feelings, or problems, knowing that you have the right to expect honesty from others. You have the right to be angry, even if it's to someone you love. You have the right to be uniquely yourself. You have the right to feel scared and say, I'm scared. You have the right to change your mind. You have the right to say, I don't know. You have the right not to give excuses or reasons for your behavior. You have the right to make decisions based on your feelings. You have the right to your own needs. For your own personal space and time, you have the right to be playful, you have the right to be healthy, you have the right to be in a non-abusive environment, you have the right to change friends, you have the right to change yourself and to grow, you have the right to have your needs and wants respected by others, you have the right to be happy, you have the right to ask for what you want and to be treated with dignity and respect. And you have the right to express all of your feelings, positive or negative. So I wanted to share this with you guys because I really believe that setting boundaries and communicating your needs is an essential part of health and healing. Without it, we can't experience a sense of power from within. The more you practice expressing yourself, in this way and setting healthy boundaries, having clarity about your boundaries, the more worthy and deserving you will feel, which in turn will change your life. It will also change your reality. To go back again to the title of this podcast, Happiness Trap, I want to end with a couple of notes that I think are really important to bear in mind. And that is that to be able to actually experience moments or let's say more moments of happiness than not and to actually enjoy our lives, we have to be able to understand our darkness. We have to be able to be with our discomfort. We have to know our needs. We have to know our boundaries. We have to understand and change our addictive patterns of behavior. And we also have to make sure that we tune into our body and that we can actually, you know, support our body to feel safe despite our negative or uncomfortable feelings and sensations. I know for me personally, happiness is not really a destination. It's, it's all about these little moments that I get throughout my day to be fully present and to notice what's beautiful around me to be able to increase the moments of appreciation in my life. The other day, I was sitting in my terrace and I was staring at the tree um, outside of my house. 
And in that moment, I was so tuned to the, into this tree. I was just feeling like I was becoming the tree. You know, it was just, I felt so much pleasure and joy just looking and staring at this tree. That for me was happiness. And I got to experience that for a couple of moments to be in that state. For me, happiness is a state of being. It's not a destination. And I really hope that by becoming more conscious and aware of our past and of our wounds and traumas and being able to embrace all of our emotions, we can slowly get to a place where we can experience more moments of happiness and appreciation throughout the day and where life doesn't become about getting to the next thing or taking things off our list of things to do, but rather it's about being at peace with oneself and with life more often than not. I'm going to leave you guys with a quote by Eckhart Tolle where he says, is there a difference between happiness and inner peace? Yes, happiness depends on conditions being perceived as positive. Inner peace does not. All right, guys, that's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're interested in working with me, please visit mentalawakening.com.au. If you love this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts as this will help more people to access the information being shared here. I wish you all a wonderful week ahead and I look forward to speaking to you all again in a couple of weeks time. Until then, take care everybody. Bye for now.